Welcome to the Black Movie Podcast, where we discuss Black culture through its cinema and review Black-led films from a range of different genres and time periods. Uh, my name is James Alexander. I'm Ryan Henry. I am Andre Barber. And I'm Lauren Booty. This week's subject was going to be Head of State. Um, we tragically did not get an opportunity to watch that movie. Instead, we decided to honor our fallen brother, Chadwick Boseman, who passed away earlier this week and chose to watch one of his movies. What's on everybody's mind is Black Panther. And while I love that movie, I wanted to focus on one of his smaller works, um, a biopic about Thurgood Marshall titled Marshall. It was released in 2017, directed by Reginald Hudlin, um, with a budget of $12 million and a box office of $10 million. So to get the party started, I want to go over a little bit about the movie itself. Um, this was a biopic, like I mentioned, about Thurgood Marshall, an early case in his career uh, in which he partnered with a um, local lawyer, attorney in the state of Connecticut to defend Joseph Spell from a really tragic case um, in which he was charged with raping a woman that he worked for. Um, and then throwing her over a bridge in an attempt to kill her. I want to kind of go round robin and hear some high-level thoughts for what um, you all thought of the movie. So I'll start with you, Ryan. Okay, um, well, I, I, I guess I'm wondering whether spoilers count for something that's a historical biopic. But um, I thought that the the movie did surprise me a bit. It, it, it's a credit to Chadwick's acting acumen that I came in going... I'm not sure how I see him as Thurgood Marshall. And then 25 minutes into the movie, I've completely bought into him as Thurgood Marshall, even with that skinny little mustache. It's really impressive. Um, there were a lot of, a, a lot of beats in the story that were clearly written to illustrate a portion of Thurgood Marshall's life that doesn't always get talked about. We talk about him as his importance as the first black Supreme Court justice, but looking at his career with the NAACP, in the way that the biopic did, I think was actually a really great way to give some texture and character to the things that were going on. I enjoyed how in this, in this story, they tried to weave in global events that were happening and tried to make sure that like, Oh yes. And also there is, you know, the rise of fascism in Europe and how this is impacting these characters here. And here's, you know, echoes of future fights in different cities that Thurgood Marshall is going to be impactful on. All that was really good. There were a bunch of, what feels like basically black in jokes that I really enjoyed. I love seeing a caddy fight between Langston Hughes and Zora Neale Hurston. That's that's a deep cut, I think, for uh, the, the g generic film audience. But uh, yeah, like there were there were a number of those things in the story. That I think uh, worked really well. Sterling K. Brown is always amazing, and it was amazing to see him do this turn in this movie. And I thought that you know is there were there are lots lots of parts of it that underwhelmed me, and that. I felt I like didn't get the space to breathe where they should have, but I also know that this was somehow a two-hour runtime, and I think that that could have either been like dramatically shortened, or we could have maybe spent less time visualizing, you know, facts of a crime that didn't happen. That, but that's just me. I thought that overall, you know, the movie worked. You know, it it it, it held my interest, even though I knew it was going to happen. Which for a historical biopic is hard to do. Uh, Lauren, what did you think? So I feel a little bit different in that. I actually feel like it was. The film was a little underwhelming for me because what's interesting, right, is that you mentioned like I agree that it was interesting to see an earlier phase of Thurgood Marshall's life and his time as a lawyer traveling and doing cases with NAACP. But so much of this movie wasn't actually about Thurgood Marshall. For a movie titled after him, he was not really the focus of this film. The lawyer played by Josh Gad was much more the focus of the film and Thurgood Marshall was sort of his mentor. But it wasn't really about Thurgood. Like, I didn't leave the movie feeling like I knew anything else that I didn't already know about Thurgood Marshall, essentially. And, in fact, wanted to know, like, so many other things. And so, for me, it actually felt more like he was, and this is going to sound probably way worse than I intended to, but it was almost like the legal version of The Legend of Bagger Vance, where this, like, brilliant, magical black dude wanders into town, helps some, you know, slightly decent white people become even more decent, slightly more decent. And then goes on to the next town and does his magic there. Like, he was obviously brilliant, but you didn't see any of his struggle to become brilliant. He just starts off brilliant. Their girl doesn't really change. She doesn't really grow. 
He doesn't really have a lot of his own particular agency. He just shows up, participates in this course, and then, like, again, moves on to the next town. Even before the, the, the trial is finished, even. It was such a weird feeling. It was. And had the movie been titled by the, about the case, I would have felt differently. And I would have loved having Thurgold be a character in that. But when you're doing a movie about that kind of an icon, and you've titled the movie after that icon, I want the movie to be more about that icon, basically. And, and to be clear, I think that, like, we all have some understanding of Thurgood Marshall's plays in history, but I don't think that a lot of the 2017 movie-going audience did at all. So it's kind of weird to choose the frame that they chose. It's very much like, oh, yeah, so let's zoom in on a case I didn't know a ton about. But most people, I, most, most people who have not grown up in Black households are not going to have a ton of attachment to him, even though he's one of the few names to show up every Black History Month. And I agree with you on Josh Gad being the kind of focus of the story. It, it does the things, things, the thing a lot of uh, movies do, which is that in order to tell a story about black people, you have to center a white person to, to have a, as an audience stand in for them to feel like they can connect to somebody instead of because, you know, there's an assumption that they won't connect to the brilliant black, uh, you know, glow trotting lawyer. Yeah, I thought that was interesting, too. And and. I was very excited to see this movie. It had been on my list ever since it came out. I had seen Chadwick in 42 when it came out. So, like, I was really looking forward to his other biopics. And this one really fell flat for me as a movie about Thurgood Marshall. I think I enjoyed the movie overall. Like, the story and the case was very interesting. And, like, the character dynamics were really interesting. But I agree with Lauren that, like, this movie is about Sam Friedman. Like, he's the character who, you know, starts in one place, goes through this experience, ends in another place. And when the movie ends, one thing that I think is really telling is the first thing we see as far as like a recap of of where these people ended up was what happened to Sam, not what happened to Thurgood. We see an introduction to Thurgood at the beginning. It eventually ends with an like what Thurgood does in the rest of his career. It seemed very clear to me that they really wanted this movie to be about... They wanted to have Thurgood as the marquee for why you would go see this movie. But based on the writing and the directing, it seemed very clear that Sam was really the star of the show, which was kind of disappointing to me. Like, unlike Ryan, I don't know that much about Thurgood Marshall. Like, I know a bit more about his Supreme Court career, but, like, this would have been an interesting opportunity for me to learn more about his beginnings. Um, And I felt like I I know... What I know more about Thurgood Marshall is basically the text at the beginning and the text at the end. Like, everything that happens in the middle of the movie is just like, okay, like, I understand his personality. Chadwick played that off super well, but I didn't feel like I knew any more about the person. Andre, what did you think? It kept me entertained, but also didn't walk away feeling like I enjoyed that movie. I I didn't enjoy it in total. Um, I did love the acting. To me, this felt like a movie where a talented group of actors just straight up brought it, and they made an otherwise uninteresting script interesting. Like we got everything that we kind of expect from this cast. Like uh, Chadwick was great. Josh Gad was uh, another great character. Sterling K. Brown had his moment where he stole the show. And it was just all around solid to excellent performances from everyone, a part of the cast. But there was nothing that about the story that I felt like hooked me. It was just me just enjoying the acting, especially early when we had all of these time jumps to get us. It's like we yada yada through the setup just to get to the case. And that uh, upset me quite a bit because it seemed like I remember stopping the movie about 15 minutes in. It was just like, this seems like they intended to make this 30 minutes and it would make sense if it was 30 minutes. But in 15, it's just kind of like, how did we go from being in New York city to being in Connecticut? And I kind of lost my way with that. I walked away disappointed and it just to, just to kind of, you know, sum up my thoughts. Yeah, like the your point about them rushing to the case is is absolutely spot on in my opinion. And it was it felt weird because it wasn't an interesting case. Like I think it was a weird to 
to, I think, James's point from earlier, it was a weird case to choose for a biopic about Marshall's early, early career. It was, one, a case that is basically done, no pun intended, to death in lots of other media, where it's essentially a black man accused of raping a white woman who may have regretted her completely consensual encounter with him or just for being there. And so it didn't feel like that needed to be rehashed yet again in some ways. Like I would have liked to have seen a more interesting kind of case than that. But it was also the dumbest case. Like the whole case was just kind of dumb. The whole time I'm like watching the, the court scenes unfold, I'm like, this is stupid. Why would anyone do this? This was obviously not a crime. <laughs> like, and I know that part of this is the theater that they even had to go through this when it was obvious from the very beginning that this couldn't have happened the way that it was articulated. But the problem is the movie took it really seriously and treated it as if it was seriously. And like Marshall actually had to go through the sort of act of figuring out what the truth was. And that just sort of annoyed me because it was so dumb. It was so dumb. <laughs> Um, and so that just sort of that plus the way that the characters are very, very flat. Like, again, the only one who has any real growth is, is Freeman's character. And that made it feel like the kind of movie your, your history teacher would make you watch in seventh grade to give you an understanding of what it was like to be an NAACP lawyer in the pre-civil rights era and not something that was actually trying to examine the dynamics of that time socially or who Thurgood Marshall was as a person or as a lawyer or as, you know, someone who was struggling with being a black man during this time as well, right? Like everything that was in the movie that even depicted anything about what it was like to be black in that time was just kind of spot, it was spot on, but it was at this point really kind of rote. And I do, and as a side note, I do want to know what the casting process is like for like hiring that actor who looks like the obviously racist white guy. Like, what is that like? <laughs> is there a casting director that just like specializes in finding the most perfect smug looking white guy to be obviously racist in a movie? That just has to be a weird audition, but yeah, going on. Uh, yeah, I agree with a lot of that. Like, it seemed like they took out they like went through all of the things that we learned in a history class or learned talking to a relative. And they just said like, Hey, you know, this was a thing. And, you know, here's some clips of uh radio talking about uh fascism, just so you can get a context for when this is all was going on. And it seemed like every character was kind of stuck in that time period, except for Thurgood, Mar Thurgood Marshall and, uh, it just seemed like he was, I shudder to say this, but it seemed like he was just a superhero. Like he was above it all and like just completely bulletproof. And it's just like, well, you know, he doesn't seem vulnerable outside of this one subplot. So why should I really care what happens to him? And so it was a, it was, it was a little bit of that going on as well. So suffice it to say that subplot was, I don't even know if you can call it a subplot. It could have just been like an utterance. Like, if yeah, a subplot yeah. doesn't have less than three minutes worth of total screen time, is it a subplot? It was, it was, it was basically the backstory of Up in terms of screen time. <laughs> uh, but with that said, I wanted to get onto one of the things that Lauren was talking about, talking about the, how the case was uninteresting. And I was, I was uh, when you said that, I was immediately thinking of I wanted to learn know more about Brown versus the Board of Education. Exactly. Amen. That was the one case. That was the one I immediately wanted. It's like, wait, you're telling us that he was involved with this case. Like, I I'd never known that. Why didn't you show us that? That seems like it's way more interesting than this, you know, court case that we've seen a thousand times in cinema. Yeah, and it would have been a cool way to dynamically bring in uh, the Supreme Court at the time, sort of foreshadowing his appearance there. How, you know, I don't know how much longer it was post that case that he was appointed to the Supreme Court. So I don't know if he replaced a member on the Supreme Court but of that era, but that would have been an interesting connection to make. But yeah, it was crazy to me that they chose this particular case, um, which before... Uh, I looked anything up about the movie after watching it. I didn't even know if it was a real case. Because so I was like, this is the most common fiction case. that They could have made up all these uh, facts and like 
it, it would have felt just as real as if it was a real case. It was totally yeah, generic. Yeah, the problem is To Kill a Mockingbird already did it really well, right? So you can't just duplicate yeah. it. Yeah. If you told me that this was an episode of In the Heat of the, Heat of the Night, um, I would have believed you. Um, I would have <laughs> been like, damn, they got Chadwick Boseman to do a Heat of the Night remake. Yeah, it's, it's really crazy that there's so many more interesting things to... Uh, to kind of look at, including just like the the internal politics of the NAACP is fascinating. Mm-hmm. The group of folks that he ran with is fascinating. We get to see them in the club, but like that is you know black uh, in black intelligentsia, you know writ large, uh, sitting at that table, and it's really just an Easter egg for black folks to black folks to find in the movie. There are a ton of things like that where it's like, hey. I know that this had a black director, and uh, by the way, when I was looking up the director to find out what else they had done, I found out that Reginald Hudlin is also, is known uh, for House Party. So he he directed House Party and Marshall. And if that is not a twenty year journey, I don't know what is. Um, oh, and he produced he produced Django on the way and Boomerang. Can I say that I had the exact same reaction? Like I looked him up and immediately I was like, oh, this makes a lot of sense now. Uh, so much since now that you you directed House Party and Boomerang. And now here we are. There's a straight line all the way to this <laughs> film. In terms of the like, at least in terms of the technical like production of the film, I'm like, yeah, this makes a lot more sense to me now as to why the film production looks the way it does. What, y'all trash him boomerang at house party? Uh no. No. Those Never. are great movies. <laughs> they're, they're part of a different right? film tradition than like prestige biopic. And this was kind of built to be yeah. Oscar bait in a, like, down to the, we have uh, an uplifting song with standard chords with common rapping over it at the end, mm-hmm. which is, like, how you know. Uh, that's how you know that, like, we think that this will win some awards. Sorry. Um, no no offense to Common, but um, Common, I hate all of your movie music. Um. <laughs> <laughs> so if Common ever listens to this, he's going to be very offended. I think we're safe. I mean, I'm down with that song from Selma, but I'll give you that for everything else. I just, I, I like his first two albums. I still have those on my Spotify. I, I have a lot of fondness for, uh, for, for Common um, and the music he's inspired in those things. But yeah, like there's just a certain Microsoft commercial vibe that you just kind of get listening to the credits for, for Marshall. Now I just want to listen to Universal Mind Control with Common and Pharrell. Such a good song. <laughs> So speaking of common, can we talk about how terrible the production of this is? Like Andre, I feel like you were going in that direction, and I need you to continue on that yeah. direction. Yeah, yeah. It felt like it was so. It's tough to talk about that because I didn't like how the the whole entire movie was paced. But it just felt like yeah, everything about this felt generic except for the performances from the actors. And I cannot emphasize how well the actors did with the with the material given. It was Sterling K. Brown was fantastic. Josh Gad was really good. Chadwick was really good, although he did have those Chadwick isms. There was there's no actor I could find fault with. Although I will say, seeing Jesse Smollett now play Langston Hughes was kind of weird. <laughs> I laughed so hard. Really like that t- immediately took me out of that uh immersion of the film but even so that whole scene just took me out of the immersion of the film because it just felt like hey hey here's other important black people hey hey as opposed to like oh th- this is a dude with his wife hanging out on a night with friends yeah it felt like one that scene really bothered me because i love black literature and those are two of my favorite authors and he uses my favorite poet and the fact that I thought they would pop back up in the film. I was like, oh, that's mm-hmm. awesome. They're going to be characters in this story. And then they weren't. <laughs> but I was like, why would you waste them in this weird little scene? Just because you think these are the two black folk that like other people will know. It's like, how many black people from this time period can you name? And those will basically be like the three that pop up. And so that made me, that made me very, very angry. Um, yeah. Called it an Easter egg. It felt like a deleted scene. It was like, yeah, it, it, yeah. yeah. Yeah, like, are there more the scenes perfect. on the cutting room floor? Yeah, that was there the might- perfect description. Like, it felt like, oh, this is going to be so weird saying this, but it felt like uh, when you watched a Marvel film, when you watched like Iron Man 2 and then you saw like the Captain America shield, <laughs> it's just kind of like, 
oh, was this supposed to be like some sort of like expanded universe type of deal that it's you're trying to It's a black cinematic at? universe. I'm yeah. here for the black cinematic universe. Actually, that's a thing. I, I'm signing up for it. I would watch all those movies. Yeah, yeah, that actually could be really cool. I'm guessing not, but man. Like, 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 um, Thurgood Marshall returns in Harlem Renaissance 2. Um, <laughs> it's something that I, it turns out that, like, we were wrong. The Black Avengers. <laughs> oh, man. All of a sudden, like, MLK uh, appears in a Malcolm X, like, deleted scene. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> It's a post credit scene with like Langston Hughes and uh, Harriet Tubman's there for some reason. Nobody knows why, because it's a completely different time period. There's going to be some sort of time travel in it that brings them together. Yeah, no, I'm totally here for this. This is working in my head. We should write this out later. Yeah, I, like I'm absolutely in for time travel, uh, black people from history, land in 2020, somehow make everything better. I feel like, like we did this movie, though, is animated. What was it? Uh, I feel like every every school in the hood played this movie. What was that movie called? My Friend Martin. There we go. Oh, right. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, I think that movie is exclusively shown on uh, old televisions rolled in on carts. That might be true. Can I also just say, if there, if there isn't yet a time-traveling Harriet Tubman movie, I'm just going to copyright that idea right now and like sell that to someone because I would watch the hell out of that. Mm-hmm. I mean, I, I, I think that we know that if a time, if, if a time machine exists, that a, a black person hasn't invented it clearly, uh, or B, <laughs> it only goes forward. Um, that's, that's pretty much what my working, uh, my working model of black time travel would be was that like, we don't really want to go back to any of that. So I think that I have a funny aside. Oh, go for it. We're off so, topic anyway at this point. I, I, yeah. I'm thinking of like being in high school for like as a high school senior. It's like if you could travel back to any moment in time, what would what you know time period would you travel back to? And just seeing just that first moment of being a senior and just seeing that on like for like the yearbook or whatever, just seeing that on the page and being like, yeah, I feel like I can't answer this question. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, the only real answer is sometime before Europeans discovered the African continent again. Mm-hmm. Sometime before then. On that uh, that very first slave ship, just drop off a bunch of rifles. We're good. <laughs> speaking of, oh, speaking of that, does anybody watch American Gods? Just yes, I immediately saw the Anansi moment yeah. when he said that. Yeah. Okay. We should come back to the movie. <laughs> yeah, so uh, back to the movie. Yeah, so production-wise, like... So, Andre had started this piece, but, like, the production was really boring in this film. Like, the cinematography mm-hmm. is boring and plain. There's, I do have a, a, a pet theory that I'm going to kind of go with because it makes people better. I'll explain in a minute. But the cinematography was boring. There was absolutely nothing interesting done with camera angles, with the way that we were framing people or things. Like, that made me sad because you have a really terrible script. So, all the movie had going for it were was its amazing actors. There was one moment where it looked kind of cool, and that was at the very beginning when they first go to New York, and they're sort of like, uh, you know, the travel card of, like, New York City, New York, and it's the first time that they cut to that space, and the entire frame looks like it's an old-timey postcard, like, super mm. saturated, very interesting, cool, and I was like, oh, that's interesting, maybe that will crop up again, and then it never did. So I feel like this movie was filled full of good ideas that just didn't continue, that someone had, and it failed to make it all the way through. It's like they literally forgot that they had archival footage. Right. It's just a weird thing. The theory I have that makes me feel slightly better, because, again, I did not particularly love the movie because of all these things. But then after sitting there and thinking about it for a second, and after, like, my husband pointed out, like, some of the the whiting, and, like, there are often shadows falling on folks' faces, and he's like, it's almost like, there's a lot of shadows. And I started thinking, you know what, this makes sense. The way that the characters speak is so much more out of a detective novel or detective movie than it is a file mm. like a like a like a law based biopic. Um, that you have all this dark lighting and these shadows. You've got um, technically you've got femme fatale in here. You've got these cynical heroes. This is a noir. If I think of this as a noir film, all of a sudden it actually becomes a lot more sophisticated than I was giving it credit for to begin with. Uh, subverted noir because the ending is not a typical noir, but it kind of is depending on who you're thinking of. You know, being the fall guy in the sense. But that was the one thing that made me feel slightly better about it, is if you think of this movie as essentially being a very stereotypical, stereotypical version of the noir genre, 
with a slightly subverted ending, it actually works a lot better. I still, I feel like that. it fails. I tried, Marshall. I, I tried. I gotta, I gotta sit with that thought for a second. That's definitely an interesting idea. I hadn't really thought about it before, but I can sort of see that. Um, on the productions point, the only thing I really wanted to mention because I'm not you know expert in this, but the opening, the way that Sam and uh, Thurgood are introduced, that like what I felt was very weird cut back in the middle of their two cases just didn't didn't make sense to me like i didn't understand what they were trying to tell me especially about sam's character like are you trying to tell me that like he's a cynical lawyer who's like trying to get people off on like technicalities and somehow that's gonna like come back and bite him later like i i really had no idea what it was they were attempting to convey with that but they did something they clearly wanted it that way for some reason yeah, it definitely felt like it was playing out some stereotype. Like, hey, we need you to understand that this is a Jewish lawyer. Um, and we're going to hammer on a ton of a ton of stereotype stereotypical things. We're going to reference a ton of things with their family. It it very much feels like it was like if if you were if you were going into this movie making it thinking, I want to explain to people some of the historical connection between Jewish folks and black folks then a lot of things make sense and the focus focus on Sam makes a ton more sense. And that's kind of how I've been shifting to think about it. I think that there's also the, I don't think we've mentioned it, but Kate Hudson, I think plays the, uh, plays the woman in mm-hmm. question um, mm-hmm. and uh, just chews up uh, all of her screen time <laughs> um, <laughs> looking incredibly forlorn um, and, and put upon. So I think she does the job well, but I think that the, there's so little focus on it on the internality of almost anybody in this movie, but you know you do get a chance to see it into her life and what she's kind of thinking, even if it is like kind of straight by the books. But we don't really find out anything about the prosecutor other than like he's exactly as douchey as he looks, and that's mm-hmm. what they want us to think. And we get that same treatment for all sorts of characters. I know next to nothing about Thurgood's wife, uh, Buster. Other than like he was on the road all the time and she had it rough, uh, but he still loved her, and that's about all we can tell from any of any of this or anything. We can't tell whether like what Thurgood's relationship with folks in the NAACP was, or what happens in those towns after he leaves, which is like the really um, fascinating stuff. And in the case that they go to in Mississippi, I don't know if any of you all caught this. This is another. Easter thing, but I definitely recognized it. Um, the the mother and father that they had at um, the train station meeting Thurgood at the end of the movie that was Sabrina Fulton, who was Trayvon Martin's mother, and I think that was Ben Crump, who was uh, their lawyer, um, who's also you know the lawyer for George Floyd's family and Jacob Blake's family and lots of other people who've been uh, taken down by uh, racist violence. Um, and it very much seemed like a very heavy headed, heavy handed. Um, like nod towards these things these things continue to happen um before it goes into the standard biopic and this is what happened to all the characters after we leave them in the story kind of moment the 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 movie for the things it has to say it says them really clumsily and then it just doesn't care about like a bunch of other parts that's the things that's probably most disappointing for me because i think you could have made something even with the limited characters you had but you know they they chose Mm -hmm. to try to Keep it simple, but if you're gonna keep it simple, maybe an hour and a half or hour hour twenty five, uh, not two hours. Uh, yeah, I didn't catch that at all. So I'm glad you brought that up. But the what they were trying to convey, like, was completely over my head. Um, so I, I think they didn't really handle that very well. Um, one thing I wanted to go back to was you mentioned Thurgood and his relationship with his wife Buster, who seemed really interesting, like. There's a lot of scenes where I could see I wanted to see another movie that wasn't the movie that they made involving some of these other characters. But one thing that I thought was really weird is the experience Thurgood had in the bar with the white woman who was like coming on to him. Did anyone else feel that was super weird? Yes. To to me, it was like, are you why? Why are you, is this scene here? Like, are you trying to allude that he, like, I completely thought he was going to cheat on his wife, which was going to be really shitty. So I was like, 
is this what you're and then it just cuts and it's like oh no he like had some weird revelation based on that conversation that didn't really completely make sense so one of the most brilliant men of his generation needs to have a white woman come on to him to have a eureka about like what obviously happened is kind of insulting yeah super weird yeah that whole that character she just felt like a red herring like oh they're gonna set him up and try and get him in trouble in the town because they don't like him and it's just like well okay all right everything about that scene was weird she was weird the super hulked out guy that went after him in a black bar was weird like the whole scene didn't work for me i had no idea what was happening or why the I had completely forgotten about the fact that the owner of the bar was black. It's like, do you, did you think you this was gonna like work? Who? It's kind of like the crime itself. Who would be stupid enough to actually do this? I also was thinking about the owner pulling that shotgun too. I feel like that just when you say something's gonna happen to that owner in that bar after this movie that no one's gonna know or care about. That was low key one of the best parts of the movie though. Like that was one of the only like. Parts where, like, I had any kind of surprise. So I think that, um, so it worked well, I guess. You know, like, none of those people had names. So I don't think that they exist, exist with the camera stops rolling. So it's fine. I mean, they were basically window dressing while the camera was rolling. So one of the things I did want to get back to, though, was the noir point that, uh, Lauren was making because, like, I could only see this as, like, a courtroom drama with, uh, a historical figure plugged into it um and like thinking about some of the shots looking at some of the shots it's just like i can kind of see the noir lighting and some of this uh some of those themes there but yeah it just doesn't it doesn't work and even as a courtroom drama it didn't feel like it worked it was the old cedric uh the entertainer joke that he had about luther vandross and his jerry curl like, it just didn't quite come together. Like, not, none, of, <laughs> none of that stuff just quite came together, like, properly. All I can say is that the only thing that worked in this movie was the acting. And that's yeah. kind of, that's not even kind of, that is straight up disappointing. Yeah, agreed. I mean, the noir thing, like, I, I agree, I don't think it worked well, but I do feel better about it if I think that's what they were attempting to do. Like, it's like they were trying to merge a courtroom drama with a noir. Because it does have so many aspects of a noir film. It has the use of flashbacks as a constant piece. It's got um, the ongoing constant saxophone in the background to highlight all the points where you would normally have like a dun-dun-dun that they realized they couldn't do because it was too cheesy, so they substituted a saxophone instead, which drives me nuts in movies. But like so much, so many of those different elements were there. It's almost like you had a director who's not a particularly adept director when it comes to that kind of a heavier film who is making a courtroom drama but wants to pull in these other elements really lightly. And much like everything else within the film, they don't do any of it well, right? Like, there's a bunch of things that are happening on screen, in the soundtrack, with the storylines, all these things. None of them work well because they couldn't just settle on one thing. It was almost like they were afraid to tell a really good story. So they just put in a bunch of things that they thought worked in other films, um, even though it didn't really work here, right? And and I think that it's a credit to Chadwick of just how much he elevated something that would have tasted like cardboard into something that was like an acceptable, you know, like I don't regret spending the two hours. Mm-hmm. Like just because of like seeing that performance and knowing that this was 2017 and watching him come into his like full powers as as like the black actor of the future which is part of what makes his loss so difficult, um, I think, is that you watch this and then, you know, the, there, there, were, there were jokes um, on Black Twitter uh, constantly when, when this came out that about, like, who, which important Black person is Chadwick going to play next? Because there was an expectation that he was going to play all of them. That, like, eventually every movie would be a Chadwick movie, the same way that Denzel played every important black man in his era for every movie opportunity one of my favorite bits of trivia about chadwick uh, was finding out that he went to howard a proud hbcu grad and he studied acting under felicia rashad from uh, uh from the cosby show um mrs huxmore herself 
and that when he went to do his training in Oxford, he was paid for by a mysterious benefactor, and that mysterious benefactor ended up being Denzel Washington. So, like, Chadwick himself was kind of, like, following in those biopic footsteps in a sort sort of way that I think was just really poignant, and watching this really drove home, like, man, this wasn't, like, one book burned, this was a library lost. There's there's so many other uh, other um, important, dignified Black men for Chadwick to be in biopics for, for the rest of his life if he wanted to. And so, knowing that, like, oh, yes, we won't get to see all of that, you know, feel-good, you know, amazing acting, elevating those kinds of projects and telling those stories is just really sad. Yeah, I wanted to kind of talk a little bit about the future for Chadwick at this time, um, because this movie came out the year before Black Panther. So it was like right on the cusp of him becoming humongous with that movie. And it is interesting to look at his career and see all of these different roles that he played, even though, you know, T'Challa is not a real person, but still like an important figure in Black culture, specifically for those of us who are super nerds to have a character that we could identify with in some way or to have him embody that in addition to all these real life heroes that he played throughout the years, I thought was super interesting. Um, but one other thing that I thought was particularly interesting is the number of connections this movie has to Black Panther, either the movie or the character, which was, was sort of strange to me. So of course, Sterling K Brown is in both movies. Chadwick's in both movies. But what I didn't know when I was looking it up is that Reginald Hudlin has written for Black Panther, like a decent amount as well. And so including the the, the storyline in which T'Challa married Storm and she became the queen of Wakanda, that's just such an interesting like microcosm of these things that sort of interweaved that I didn't really expect until after I started looking up all this stuff, trying to figure out more about the movie. So Josh Gad's going to be in the sequel to Black Panther. The, we, we've settled on that, right? <laughs> I mean, it, it kind of has to be at this point. Uh, I want to just circle back to one of the things that Ryan was talking about as we were talking about the... And James, you were ta- also talking about the future as well, particularly looking at Chadwick. I want to look at the future of, like, who is that Black actor that plays all of the historical Black uh, figures? And I think he was in this movie. I think it was Sterling K. Brown. Like, unfortunately, Sterling K. Brown always gets, like, crappy movies. Mm-hmm. But, like, he has the chops and is certainly polished enough to to continue to play uh, to play the lead role. And I want to see him get that opportunity as either another historical black uh, figure. Or if we look at, uh, we look at the Marvel Cinematic Universe, uh, it would be... Actually, he's already had his character in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, but like maybe DC. I just want to see him get more like big roles and lead roles because of Mm. how talented he actually is. And I was uh, curious as to thinking sort of who do you think now as an actor, as a a, a black male or female actor is talented enough to play uh, a particular a historical figure or if you think or if you just hasn't been in your mind so one person that i want to shout out and i actually think it's an interesting comparison to this movie is uh michael b jordan just not long ago i saw just mercy which i thought was very good and you know we haven't discussed it much so i don't know what any of you all thought or if, it, if you've seen it but it's an interesting dichotomy to this movie because they're both courtroom biopics about famous black lawyers in some degree, obviously different time periods, but I think just mercy did a better job of inspiring their lead character than, than Marshall did. Um, and I could see Michael B. Jordan maybe coming in and filling some of that role. I mean, he did a great job in that movie, but it's his first biopic that I, that I've seen, but I could see that sort of happen. I think that we might've seen uh, a glimpse at who could feel this on the male acting side from one of our earlier movies. I think that uh, Jonathan Majors has like a lot of potential to be able to do those kind of roles. He has the sort of um, self-contained gravity that you need to do those things. And I think that, you know, I felt like he, he could make some of those, some of that material compelling in a number of ways. I think that uh, Mahershala Shala Ali has done, has done some biopics and is also going to 
probably do more. I think he's got a lot of range and can can do a lot of things. In terms of actresses, I always go back and forth because I know who I want to be getting these roles versus I know who actually is getting these roles. I happen to think that Regina King, Viola Davis, um, Viola Davis is getting a lot more prestige roles, but I think Regina King can act her ass off. And I think that she could do a tremendous job in those roles. Just really needs the opportunity. I mean, I feel like this is an interesting question because I've actually never really thought about it. I tend to focus more on who, not who can play a really interesting, like, you know, real life black person in a movie, but who can become that sort of like, a-list level actor where they're iconic in of themselves, right? Like, I, I start thinking about who's going to play, like, young Morgan Freeman one day, basically, right? Who becomes a household name? Because I think we need more of those in some ways. One thing I did find about interesting about Chadwick in this role is that he's actually a lot darker in skin tone than Thurgood Marshall actually was. And so more commonly, you see lighter skin uh, black people getting roles uh, in portraying people that were actually darker skinned. So having this kind of like reverse um, situation here, I think is really interesting and kind of interesting way forward. And in fact, a lot of the people that, you know, we've just noted as, as up and coming actors that we'd like to see play more parts like this are all also darker skinned, which I think is awesome. But now I'm trying to think about like all the black people I need to have like immortalized on film. And also this movie did make me realize that I'm dying for a Langston Hughes movie of some sort that really dives into Langston Hughes or something that dives into Zora Neale Hurston's stories more. Like, I just really want more of that. Like, one of the things I love, and Andre sort of mentioned this earlier is, and this is not exactly related to this particular film, but is American Gods because the role of Anansi is so truly perfectly played in some scenes. And I'm like, yes. <laughs> like the slave ship scene in particular is one of the most amazing pieces of acting that Orlando Jones or anyone has ever done. And like, I also want more of that. Like I want more black fictional characters played by amazing black actors, like iconic fictional characters like Anansi the Spider. Yeah, we really just have to write our treatment of the, the Harlem Renaissance cinematic universe. And all we're really doing now is just fan, fan casting for who we want to play those roles. So I think we just need to keep at it and um, go before uh, before they give it to the folks who wrote Game of Thrones. But I, yeah, sorry, I'm, I'm a little sore about that. One of the things that um that I remember when I was trying to think about whether there was ever, I'd ever seen anything by about Thurgood Marshall in film, I realized that... Um, that there is something that exists and I've only seen a clip of it. There was um, a one-man Broadway show about Thurgood Marshall. And I want to say that there's a version of it that was done by uh, University of Michigan alum, James Earl Jones, uh, as a one-man show. And that it was adapted on Broadway by Lawrence Fishburne. It came up when the Obamas were doing Black History Month programming, I want to say, like around like either 2010 or 2011, maybe. And it was very interesting that that was something that was being celebrated, but made a lot of sense considering the moments that we were dealing with and nostalgia of having a Black president and where, uh, and the important role that Thurgood Marshall plays in that, in, in that constructed narrative journey. And I, I, I definitely do think that there are more places in his career to be focused on that could bring a lot of good drama and things. Hell, you could have, like, Honestly, one of the things I just realized is that, like, I would have enjoyed this so much more if it was instead, like, a miniseries looking at a bunch of Thurgood Marshall cases as he just across the country. I feel like that format would have done the style of directing and production, like, so much more justice than, than we're, than we're, we're making this in the vein of things that white people will give Oscars to that we ended up with. Uh, but, but yeah, I mean, just a, a lot of missed opportunities. All the acting was great, but just so, so much that could have been done. I think is what we all keep coming back to. I think you hit a, I think you actually made probably at the perfect point for the state of uh, black biopics is that everything is turning out to be these like Oscar grabs when it seems like if we really wanted to get these stories out and done well, they actually need to be going to uh, television in some fashion. You know, I think about the, you know, the Wu-Tang Clan series on Hulu, which I personally have not gotten to yet. Then think about how, yeah, that actually makes a lot of sense because we actually get to see that whole story. 
and get to understand the person behind there. Yeah, I would be interested in more of that. I mean, my concern with honestly Hollywood approaching any of this is that so much of Hollywood's black biopics focus on, and it makes some sense as to why, because they're stories people are familiar with and they're huge changing movements a lot of ways, but they always focus on slavery or the civil rights movement, right? You don't really get biopics of the black astronauts or, uh, you know, the first black architect or any of those things. And so my concern is that they only really do black stories if it's something where they can show brutality. Like, they're always about brutality. And that's actually one of the reasons why I think this movie, while it's been lauded and, you know, in some respects deserves some of that, but it's not as highly rated as it could be. And part of that's because they actually don't show that much brutality in this movie either compared to some narratives around the civil rights movement or slavery, right? Mm -hmm. Like, they're just, there's actually, it's actually pretty restrained in how it actually treats the way, the depiction of how black folks were treated, right? They get beat up, but it doesn't linger on it in the same ways. And in fact, Thurgood makes it out of that with just basic scrapes um, as opposed to Josh Gad's character. So one of my concerns is there's no way to have that on the screen without how I would feel the need to be gratuitous about it, and that's all it becomes, right? Like, I want other stories because there are so many different amazing stories of Black people. You don't get to hear about those ones if they don't include um, the brutality of it. And while obviously that's a huge part of being Black in America, it's not the only part, but it's the only part that Hollywood wants to sell. I think the one exception to that is Hidden Figures. Like that was yeah. an excellent, that was an excellent movie, and it was the one in recent memory that actually diverged from that. And as you were kind of, uh, as you were talking about that, besides you know slavery and civil rights, it's always hip hop or mm -hmm. um, Motown uh, as the other two movies, and there's always some sort of violence attached to those stories that you don't expect to be there. Mm -hmm. Um, but yeah, no, that's also another great point. Yeah, because Hidden Figures is the only movie, the only biopic that I can think of that didn't really show that racial violence. It showed the racial tension, but it didn't show the violence. Right. One other thing that I always struggle with movies that highlight historical black figures is or in situations like you mentioned lauren where there are like is brutality to black people in variety of ways is that it always posts it far enough in the past that people think that that stuff is over which is a big struggle for me when it comes to like normal people in, in society or like oh yeah that was so bad in the 40s or that was so bad in the 60s. But like we're we we're look how far we are from from these horrible acts that are being highlighted in this movie. And it's like, well, we're not that far from that. And so I would love to see someone in Hollywood be willing to take a story about what it was like to be black in a thousand two thousand or the late nineties. And like or or even more recent than that, and show that like these problems that you think are so far away are really not that far away. Uh, was the, when they were in the courthouse, he, uh, Thurgood was talking about, yeah, my, uh, I don't know about you, but my grandparents were slaves. Mm -hmm. And that's only, was that one or two generations removed from us? Yeah, that was actually a great scene. Cause so I, because I don't know, I'm, I'm apparently a glutton for punishment. And in the middle of 2020, I decided that I should read slave narratives the ones that were created by the, you know, work program from the Great Depression. Um, so essentially, like, a bunch of writers went around the country and found former slaves and children of former slaves and interviewed them about what slavery was like and what it was like to be Black America at that time in the 30s. Truly uplifting things, obviously. But when he said that, I immediately thought back to that. It was also the kind of thing that Darnell Hurston herself did, so I actually really, like, kind of made that connection in the film, too. And... That's all that these movies really, really focus on. And it's also the, the, one of the most shining moments that Sterling has is when he gives his speech in the courtroom about why he was afraid and why he lied, right? Which is a really excellent piece of acting. But it's always the best piece of acting that an actor like him is given, right? To show their fear about being brutalized because they happen to be black as opposed to anything else. So I both really loved it and it was really powerful. And then it also made me feel sad that that's like the only way in which that typically comes up. But at the very least, I was glad that it was there and that 
it hopefully served as a way for people to realize, oh, well, like my parents were around at that time. This isn't actually that far away, but no one really thinks about that. Yeah, my parents were born in the 40s. My grandmother's still here. This stuff is uh, not even past, as uh, as she would say. Um, so I definitely think it's something to to keep in mind. And and honestly, I think that that, that the final scene with um, um, Trayvon's parents and Ben Crump, I think is kind of trying to hint in that direction. It just did so way too subtly for me. But I, I think that there is, like, that that is at least the people who made the movie having an acknowledgement that these fights aren't over and that this is all, you know, like, this narrative isn't done. All right. Well, we're at probably about an hour or so. So let's go ahead and wrap up. Um, any final thoughts? Anybody wants to share about the movie recommendations? By the way, you can see this. It's available for rent on Amazon Prime if you'd like to check it out. Um, and I think it's available for rent in a couple other places as well, um, at least as of uh, September 2020. I'll say my takeaway is that that scene of Josh Gad screaming through the gag in the courtroom is a whole mood for 2020. And that's (laughs) my clearest takeaway from this film. Yeah. Yeah. That's that one's going to stick with me for a while, I think. Well, thank you all for joining us. Uh, Next week, we will be see what's next on the list. The Last Dragon. The Last Dragon. Quite possibly one of the best movies. Of all to, time. To be to ever be made, to be put onto film. So I cannot wait for that. Well, thank you all for listening and we'll catch you next time. Thank you for listening to the Black Movie Podcast. Our show is edited by Mike Knight. Our theme song is by Chris Negro Justice Brown, and our logo was created by Savannah Alexander.